You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Modern Musicology. How's everybody doing? My name is Alan, and we've got two of our co-hosts here, Stephanie Seymour. Hello, people. And Rob Levy. Hey, kids. And this week, we are joined by two amazing special guests. We are joined by the band's Sleepy Kitty. Their new album, Blessing Curse, came out this past June, so it's just a couple of months old. So we are joined today by Evan Salt and Paige Brubeck. How are you two doing? We're doing great. Thanks for having us here. Thanks for having us. It's it's so great to have you join us. And we're really looking forward to talking with you. And we've been studying the music and we're loving it. So we are. Yeah. The new album is just great. Thanks so so much. Thank you. I want to start out just really quickly. I just want to say, you know, when people think of a band, they usually think of a band. You write songs, you go on tour, you record albums, but Sleepy Kitty is more than just a band. It's kind of like part of a multimedia philosophy. You know, uh, it's like a very holistic approach to art. So can you talk a little bit about your artistic mindset and how the the band music plays a part in that. Well, I think um, for Evan and I, when we first started, well, first dating and then bonding over music and art, and then pretty soon after that started making music and art together, um, it just, it kind of was harder to stay out of each other's business than to directly get involved. And um, <laughs> I think both of us, have a like to collaborate with other people and um but also like to throw ourselves into projects and um early on in our relationship it was just like we started doing more and more projects together both visual arts with um helping each other design posters for our bands at the time our bands at that time and then starting to play music just for fun together and then starting to make posters for that band, which is Sleepy Kitty together. And uh, really it's just, it's kind of hard not to collaborate. It's, it's just been organic for many years now. We met in Chicago, um, uh, each in separate bands. And then uh, I was, I'd been doing the screen printed poster design for my band bound stems there. And uh, Paige, I knew she'd been doing some screen printing. And I walked in one day as she and her bandmate were screen printing on the floor of her apartment in this extremely orthodox, to me, very shocking approach, just kind of scrubbing at the screen with the, with the ink. Um, but that was really <laughs> cool. And uh, very soon after, we just started collaborating on everything there. And then... As we got tighter and tighter together, we we moved to St. Louis and found us a, a space there that uh, we call 
we've come to call the art castle, which was just a big old space where we could make whatever we wanted in whatever form we had uh, loading dock and, you know, tall ceilings and big doors and multiple floors. And it was a big old place we could make as big a mess as we might be as loud as we wanted. And really from there, it was just kind of a, a delicious fall into doing whatever we wanted to do together. And we decided it wasn't going to be really very fair to be a two piece, like a couple within a, a larger band structure that just kind of seems like you have a voting block that can't. So, um, so we just decided to keep it two piece that also let us practice whenever we wanted however we wanted and between the the different disciplines we've been working on it's just kept us busy ever since still <laughs> still uh still cramming it in yeah so you still yeah, do the I screen printing right I, I mean i've seen that the cool video for don't you start which was i guess 2014 where you show mm -hmm. the process of the screen printing and the the result in the video but i suppose you still you're still doing that yeah uh, I would say technically, yes, although in practice, not as frequently as we were at that time. Um, the Don't You Start video was probably the most, uh, the we were the most immersed in screen printing as well. Um, mm -hmm. But after the pandemic really slowed down, um, you know, live shows, obviously, as we all know, the it really changed screen printing for us as well because a lot of our favorite thing to do was always band posters and you know posters for plays and such and event-based design and yeah. I, I like doing art prints as well but i think um evan and i really are into the poster aspect um of things yeah and um so yeah the the at the beginning of the pandemic we were doing a project for a client or, you know, right before, and then um, we ended up adapting the design to print a different date on, because he's like, it'll be, it'll be in two months now, and then we, um, two months later, it was like, actually, it looks like it's going to be two more months, and then we ended up adapting it and printing another layer over it again <laughs> to just say, like, album release, because it was like, no one knew when this guy was going to have his album release anymore, but we had made the poster, but, um, yeah, we, I, like, posters for us, have not been as present as they were pre-pandemic, unfortunately. But yeah. we love doing screening still and are kind of always interested in doing more. <laughs> we did the design for this album cover. Yeah. Um, I will say, I also think that as far as I can tell, screen printed posters themselves have kind of um, receded as a, as, a, as a way of communicating. I think they were already kind of, um, you know, there was kind of a, a beautiful bloom of of posters associated with rock shows and stuff. I come from Seattle, and there was a, just, just a fantastic scene there. Chicago, one of the best scenes in the world for screaming posters. Um, but then uh, over the last five years or so, certainly aided by the pandemic, they're just they're just aren't as many. Yeah, they were plastered all over New York for so long. But then, I mean, really, I'm going far back now, but as far back as like Giuliani when he was just like, I mean, I, yeah, it's a little, a little side note. I got arrested for postering for my band because oh. in that era, in that Giuliani era, because he was just like cracking down on that. So oh, it was my wow. first and only so arrest. Legit. 
Oh, wow. yeah. That's it. We we got uh, we walked out once to to go um, wheat paste, which we don't normally wheat paste. We you know, but we for whatever reason we we're like these yeah. were gonna wheat paste, and literally in this Chicago. was in Chicago. We went under the train, kind of pulled out a poster. Um, we were still on our block, still on our block. <laughs> held it up against the stanchion, and a light hit us, and it was a cop. And I was like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> Oh, wow. we're like, oh man. And we thought that's it. You know, we're going to get busted. And he was like, I'm not saying it's like, just be cool. It's like, just, <laughs> you know, just, I think we were so pathetic at it that he was like, these guys, wow. I don't even know what to do with them. So, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, but since- we did, I mean, postering around town is one of the cool things um, about making music is the, all the different ways that you connect with people. And one of the things that I've always loved, and it sounds like you as well, Stephanie, is like you go around and you put stuff up and real things up in real places and real people see them walking by. Yeah. And um, that process uh, turns out to be, I think, one of the valuable things. It's, it's kind of like um, there's playing music and then there's also writing and writing music, but there's also like writing about music and how that kind of mm. engages things, which I've always been a part of my music life too. Um, you know, there's a, it's kind of, it really is a multimedia endeavor, not just to get the word out about, out about a band, but because like all of these things are band life. And, you know, okay. hip hop has very much got that thing, you know, it's not just the rap, it's also the, the scratching and it's also the the dancing and you know they have the four pillars and stuff and and nobody ever talks about that in rock and roll but i i i i mean i think since bill graham presents you know posters have been a part of the yeah, yeah. the lifeline and and going yeah. out and putting those out or handing them out or whatever and, and it's it's um in a way it's that's all part of the show you know right well, since you mentioned um, producing the the album cover for the the new album, uh, Blessing and a Curse, which is a gorgeous cover, by the way, I absolutely love it. it. Is. Let's talk a little bit about the new album. It kind of had a long process of getting from the songwriting stage to getting out into the world. Can you talk a little bit about that? I do want to say to to start, um, it's technically Blessing Curse. Um, so yeah. I was quoting from the lyric. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there. I wasn't sure yeah, if you actually said it like blessing slash curse or like it's said in the lyric or so thank oh, you yeah. for correcting me. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess it could be pronounced or it could be said a lot of ways. Yeah, we call it blessing curse. Okay. Yeah. Um yeah, it did take a while, didn't it? Um <laughs> it was um for us, well, God, a lot happened. Um besides the pandemic. Uh, it's easy to forget. It's a funny, it's, it's easy to forget now how many um, kind of life events happened during this album for us. But um, we started writing it basically right after, I mean, well, I guess we did a few other things in between. We did a, we did a theatrical play where we did music for that. And we released an EP after um, a, a couple EPs after um, projection room and um, and we kind of started writing these things when we were on the road, when we were um, working on Flux, the EP that came out after Projection Room in 2016. And, um, and then we were, you know, kind of writing these songs while we worked on other things. 
and we started touring a lot and touring. Yeah. And touring a lot. And, um, and I think at that time we were just really, really in the, you know, in the touring mindset and really busy and, um, kind of like, I mean, I can literally say I pushed myself to the limit at that time because, um, we ran into a situation where I was getting hoarse all the time and I was having sore throat and, um, and it was just taking longer to come back. Like it was getting a sore throat easier than usual. And it was taking me longer than usual to recover. And it was kind of a year of trying to figure out what was even going on before I realized, or before, you know, they found, uh, my doctors found that I had a vocal polyp that was to need surgery if I wanted to be able to do the things that I wanted to be able to do vocally. <laughs> um, so that was a very strange time because um, uh, like some of the stuff, some of the very first songs were recorded before that surgery and before I even had a problem. And then some were recorded kind of like in that finding out there was a problem time. Mm -hmm. And then some were right after. And yeah. um and so, yeah, so it was a very challenging time and it just took a long, a long time to kind of like rec just to get my stamina back and um, and not be kind of afraid of pushing it too far. And it was amazing at that time. I was going yeah, to ask you just about be... that page. Yeah, because mm -hmm. I, I, I know that it takes. So, I mean, I've had, I had a, I have a similar situation with like a partially paralyzed vocal cord and it just, mm. it, I wondered to, you know, I, I believe that it probably had the same effect that it's very mentally challenging. Like it, I mean, obviously it's physically challenging, Absolutely. but you lose your confidence, don't you? I mean, it's mm -hmm. a sort of a blow in that way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think for me, I don't know how other people experience it and how you experience it for me. Like, just the yeah the mental part was a, like a lot of it and just kind of worrying about hurting myself and um i um i think i was just you know overthinking a lot of things because yeah. it's like oh well is it is it this that did it is it this and then trying to be over careful but then you know there's some of my doctors were saying like well it could have been anything you know like it could be like yes months and months or years and years you know of um like just singing rock music or they're like you could have had a really cough and you know people get polyps like after they have strep throat or something too so right. it was a little frustrating to be like well what was it i wanted to what it will never do that ever again but um <laughs> that's not how that works and um and i think for me the um the weirdest part and I don't know how other people experience their kind of like inner voice and their physical voice, but, um, and I don't know really how it works, but I was having a harder time even writing in the normal way I would write. Like if I have a sore throat, I have like, like it's like hard to even practice guitar on some of those songs as weird as that sounds but it's like wow. like I can kind of wake up and know like mm, yeah I can't reach that today and like I think um so it was kind of a strange place for writing because I kind of have some ideas kind of know I couldn't reach those at that moment and um and yeah and then mentally it's just like very uh that can drive a body crazy yeah it can be yeah. very stressful yeah. yeah well but you but you, you persevered obviously, and you you got well. And then 
of course, then the pandemic hit, right? So then you were even delayed more with the album. Well, it's funny. The I think the reason that album ended up being called, we already had the song Blessing Curse, but I think the reason the <laughs> album took that name was because we were experiencing life in that in that strange way of like um the vocal polyp could feel like a curse but it makes you really aware of the blessings that we've had so far and like and getting through it getting to the other side is a real blessing but you're really aware of the curse that we get through to get there um and uh the pandemic was kind of the same thing like it was scary as hell for everybody you know um we just by chance we so we had moved to new york in 2019 um we love we we've loved new york for a long time we loved st louis but it was time to come to new york uh got here and we just had to be going back to st louis actually to do a bunch of printing and poster printing and stuff and when the world shut down and we found ourselves not even in Lewis, but in the woods outside St. Louis in a, oh, yeah. in a house there. Um, and, you know, I instantly lost my job and um, right. without health insurance and like all, all the all the crazy stuff that, that happened just kind of right away. And it was very freaky. And of course, the political world was insane. And it was some of the best times of our lives, like the being out there in the woods and I we had my drum set was there um so i just started practicing drums like five hours every day and um uh page was working on french and and we were working on we were working on music and we had a really wonderful time it took a while for us to realize like oh we thought that this was an album that was processed but it turns out the pandemic is the end of an era like for everyone, for the, uh, the entire globe, this is like a chapter marker, you know? So yeah. We realized like, well, what yeah. we have already made is the album. And then we had to turn and look at that because we thought of it as like, these are some of the songs among the rest of the songs that we're working on. But we, eventually we were like, oh, actually we're going to be selecting from what we've already done. Yeah, I think at that time we were, um when we first moved to New York, that's the thing too. I We neglected, we were in our space in St. Louis for 10 years and we neglected to remember that any move is a major pain in the ass. And um, I forgot about that, <laughs> that it's like, and especially the longer you're in a space and the bigger the space and the more like kind of artist hoarding tendency, I mean, a productive hoarding oh, yeah. tendencies, but like, yeah. you know, when you're like, we might need these mannequins and like three <laughs> years later, you will, like you do use them or you're like, good thing I saved all those, um, those bird, you know, those like plastic birds so that I use them in this Halloween costume this year or whatever, or an, <laughs> a music video or something. And um, so, yeah, so, I neglected to um, kind of appreciate. like appreciate how a cross country move and just any move um, is for an art studio for your living space and your art studio is gonna take longer than you think. And um, so, so yeah, so we kind of finally, got, you know, got to New York. We were finally feeling settled in. We'd had our we'd had our practice space figured out by then, and we're like, all right, like 
I think we're going to start playing shows like spring 2020. Here we come. And then it was oh. like, oh, man, no. Yeah. Um, but I think because we had just been through the pop and at that time, like, you know, I was in my early 30s and I was like, you know what? This is fine. Like, this is a great time to just chill. Like, and and now I'm feeling, you know, as years are going by, I'm like, oh, my 30s are flying by. Like, I've got shit to do still. And I feel um, the anxiety, like not anxiety, but the anxiousness to like get out and make things and get this record out and um, get on stage again. But at that time, it was like, okay, like we're just going to chill and um, and we're going to work on music still. I think these songs, yeah, like we were originally thinking of it as like, we're just going to record a bunch of songs. We're going to write a bunch of songs and then we'll see which ones out of like 20 songs we want to put on the record and it ended up being not as many were recorded but it just felt like okay this is this is this body of work this is what's here and um the world is different now so and we're different we're all everybody's different and you want to you know you have a different approach to your own art so yeah so do you think that having gone through all of that that moving forward it's changed how you sort of go about doing I say doing your business but that's not really adequate but sort of change how you do your craft all the all the adaptation and working on the fly sort of I think so yeah I mean I think um there's a lot of um there's a lot that changed I mean you know our attitudes towards everything have changed in the pandemic like uh kind of centering your experience in how what you're actually feeling instead of goals that you had you know or goals that you can have like i think a lot of people felt the shift from uh, kind of looking forward to being present in the present and that certainly happened to us um and now uh i mean sleepy kitty was uh, uh has been I mean, it, it certainly started as kind of lunging forward. Like we went and started going on tour as soon as we could. We were putting out all kinds of different kinds of music. We were just kind of practicing all the time and and just really busy trying to come up with spectacles and, and stuff like that. And it was, that was really fun. But uh, also, I think we've come to recognize like really it's crucial to enjoy oneself, you know, and, and actually that's not kind of incidental to the project it is central to the project and that's kind of changed uh well i mean it's just the music that we've got coming up at post post blessing curse but um um it has it's changed everything about how we kind of how we live honestly um we're taking more pleasure in using music to do different kinds of things that we want to do with it both musical and kind of like having it make sure that it gets us to Europe and, and yeah. Uh, yeah. because we want to do that and um, making sure that we're playing with other people that we want to play with. Cause it's, you know, you gotta get to it if you're going to do it and not in that sense of like straining for things, but in that sense of like, let's satisfy this need, you know? Yeah. Let's prioritize that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think that like, it's less like kind of like, oh, what is the strategy you should be doing? And more like, what do we want to do? Like, yeah. we want to get this record out. And like, you know, we're 
we want to what cities do we want to play and like how do we do it and you know it's like we've been doing more things diy um than during the projection room years because of like yeah. a lot of reasons um and a lot of things in the industry have changed but yeah. um and like what i love a booking agent um in the united states and europe yes i would so uh <laughs> but uh <laughs> that said, it's like you know you just gotta I, I think I think pandemic, it, like in a positive way, for me, it made me feel like a lot of things don't matter and like go have to like make meaning for yourself. And I think um, this record, it was kind of like, I was less worried the time of like, oh, are we going to get it? Like, what's it going to like do? And more like, I'm really excited about this record and yeah. just, like, yeah, just I making like a record. record. Yeah. Yeah. I was just excited when I heard you guys were playing London and Paris. Um, Cause I know you guys have been trying to get sort of a broader base. And I was kind yeah. of curious about how that is influencing things going forward uh, from a standpoint, not just of getting, you know, sleepy kitty out into the world, but just that's more of the world you get to absorb and put back into the art just how cool is that to go global and it just seemed like you were like kids in a candy store when when evan was telling me oh we're in london or we're in paris he he, he seemed like a five-year-old kid who was just like happy as hell <laughs> i'll tell you if anything i was playing it down because uh, we uh that's all absolutely right we really um decided to dive into playing in europe we have a we have some in london uh, we we put together a London show and we've been working with our friend on, on some music with him um, and then we spent some Paris and we really loved Paris and immediately turned around and went back to Paris as soon as we could and then as soon as we got back we went into New York we were like man I love New York and I love Paris so we've been kind of like that's been a new passion and and once you're in anywhere in Europe that gives you that just opens up wide what you can do. You know, we've toured the U.S. a lot. I mean, and I've toured the U.S. even more with the with previous bands. Like, if it's not that I um, want to go back to Winooski, Vermont, or something, but I have been there, and you know, and we've been we've been a lot of places, and we really enjoy it. But but uh, this band for this band utilizing. Um, utilizing the band to put it in places we want to be and utilizing our passion to put our band where we want it to be is going is is really exciting and it's and it's going really well we had awesome shows in in paris and london and uh and we've got a, a paris show coming up and um that part's just really exciting like we yeah we do feel like kids in a candy store yeah. honestly i mean it's there's just it's just wide open you know you, you start thinking like well we can we met a guy in uh brussels like like well let's play a show there and like we met some people in the south of france and like people keep telling us to play in berlin and we're like yes 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 you know um and yeah. it's not like we don't feel that way in the us it's just like that is kind of it's it's just a whole new you know it's just opening a door into the rest of the world and, and really feeling like wow all you got to do is get there and and then it's not that different i mean helps if we spoke seven languages but uh happily it's amazing how many people speak english there and <laughs> and we're getting better at our well she's getting great at her french i'm getting better <laughs> yeah. so 
Uh, I'm just curious, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you've played in the past on tour, have you not used a bass player, but now you are using a bass player sometimes or always now? That is correct. So, um, okay. so yeah, so Sleepy Kitty has done, um, you know, the core has always been Evan and me. And um, we've always, we've gone out on the road as a two piece most often. Um, we did go out with another guitar player in 2016 um and and he was on i think most most of the songs but some of them we did as a two-piece and um and then uh our collaborator a, a very frequent collaborator on this album ben sure is um he was based in dc at the time and um he played on the record and um and at the same time too we played a few out of town shows with him while we were recording um, and lately we've been playing with, um, someone named Sarah Moskowitz in, um, in New York city. And she's been, we kind of did it the way that we've always done before, where we have a collab where we're like, you want to play on a couple songs and, um, you know, maybe a couple more. And really with Sarah live, it's been like, we had her on a couple and then we had her on a couple more. And then eventually she was playing a whole set with us and, <laughs> I think the because this record this was the this is the first Sleepy Kitty album with bass on it, yeah. um, and Evan really particularly feels that um, you can't really put bass on something and then not have it on stage. And I think um, right. when we when we do when we do a set that's kind of a split set with like a two piece first, we'll do the two piece songs at the beginning and then add somebody add the bass in. Because once it's there, you can't really take it out. And I, I agree with that as well. But, I agree um, with that too. I think it kind of would sound like it just would sound, there's part of it that would just sound empty in a way. Yeah. Well, and it's weird because it's it's not necessarily the frequencies. Like, you know, Paige has a beautiful big old Fender uh, amp that the sound guys don't have a, any problem getting the full range of frequencies out of. But it's like... Um, you know, it's like two dancers versus three dancers together. Um, or uh, there's just once that third person is entered, one of the, the bass is really a, a, a another character. You can't have it. It's, um, you know, it's a kind of a mad trick to two piece um, because there just aren't enough pieces. Um, but somehow you pull it off, you know. Um, and you're like, wow, that's a that's a whole song. It feels really complete. But then once you put in the bass, you're like, oh, there's just this color that if you take it out, everything's going to look or sound washed out. You know? um, and with Sarah, it's just it's been so much fun that kind of immediately we're like, we would rather just play a bunch of these songs together. Um, and I will say as a drummer, I mean, it's no surprise to anyone for the drummer to say, like, it's really fun to yeah, play with sure. bass. But <laughs> right. I mean, went a decade without it, you know. And I, and I learned how to play drums in a really different way when when you don't have bass. You know, your kick drum is the bassist. Mm. Yeah. Um, your kick drum can be a lot more active than it would normally be um, in, a, in a band with more people because there's nobody down there. And, and you got to, you know, just doing a drum pattern that's just thinking about drums and then letting the guitar just think about guitar, you're really, you are leaving an, a, an empty space. So I kind of had to more or less pretend that I was writing a bass part that just had, you know, a noteless really note. That's interesting, yeah. But it's, 
it's a pattern, you know, of its own. Now that we have a bass player, I can kind of pull the my my right foot back a little bit and, and just kind of let things happen a little bit differently. But it's been it's been really cool. We we made this album with the idea of like this isn't going to be this doesn't have to be reducible to two people, and uh, and that gave us a lot of freedom. You know, a song like Alceste in Silver Lake, we um, we had a whole new voices that are in there that had never been there before. And, and all of that stuff kind of came out of um, us just letting ourselves do whatever the hell we wanted to do. And we really got some surprising results, I would yeah. say. Yeah. What's interesting about that song, too, is that so many of your songs have sounded sort of New York-ish, and that sounds very West Coast. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But it also has, a, it also has like a wall of sound thing going on. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting too about the record is, and I don't know if it's intentional or not, but it's, it sounds really restrained, even though I'm not sure it's intentional, but it's like, I can tell that they, they could turn the decibel up to 11 and they could just make everything dirtier or grimier, grimier or add more textures, but they're not. And I think what's interesting is sometimes when you make a record knowing when not to do all the cool gizmos and and stuff is is harder than making the actual record. Because it seems like Blessing Curse is an album that could go in different directions if you weren't steering the rudder. So it mm -hmm. seems very precise. And even though it was born in chaos, right? It seems like it's very precise and... Um, like reserved sort of in that like sort of English reserved way, like just sort of like we sort of know when to put the pedal on the gas. And it's it's interesting to hear you guys put the pedal on the gas because it's a it's a whole new thing. I I love that you um have made those observations because I think I hadn't ever really kind of thought of it in this term, but um definitely for me on certain songs and I, you know, this, a lot of them were recorded a long time ago, so I don't, I can't remember exactly when, but one of my challenges in the studio is like, sometimes I get ideas for a track to put on and it's like, oh, that would be fun to play. And that would be like in harmony, but it's like, it wouldn't make it sound like something I want to listen to. And a lot of times I'll have a part idea in my head and I'm like, I would hate to listen to that like i that would sound bad like or it would sound like too like like we kind of like joke about like um like i around the house and stuff. i like to do like kind of like um like over theatrical vocal versions of like just like to like ruin a song and like i love theater too like but, broad yeah. versions of guided by voices songs. yeah but, um which is actually where bastard orphan came from i was like the songs from Hamilton sound like oh, they could be guided by cool. voices songs. That is so, that's <laughs> yeah. such a and, great And vice EP. versa. Thank you. Yeah, but it's like, you know, some, like Robert Pollard writes excellent melodies and I think they are Broadway worthy. And if somebody did that, I wouldn't like that show. I love like Andrew Lloyd Webber. I love the kind of classic Broadway stuff. I love, you know, um, Kander and Ebb stuff. But like, I wouldn't, I don't like, jukebox musicals typically and so i feel like but anyways yeah so a lot of times i'll have an idea for a harmony and i'm like oh man like i know what i would do for the third or fourth harmony but i'm like that would make it less cool and like i wouldn't uh -huh. and i think this time i was really trying to make a record against my own kind of like um 
instincts slash capabilities that I wanted to listen to. And I think, um, yeah, because I think even, I, I mean, I like what we did on Projection Room, but I think I probably, I think there are things where I love singing harmony and I think it's the funnest thing to do is sing harmony with another voice. But I think that uh, sometimes you don't need tons of harmonies everywhere. And that's the thing that I think this record, it has a ton of harmony on it. Don't get me wrong, but it's, I think you're right. It's like very, we don't put everything out. It's like, it's like the, was it like Coco Chanel mm -hmm. says, always take something like when you're getting ready, like before you go out, just take off a piece, like take off a necklace or take off the earrings, like, mm. like remove one layer. And, um, and I think it was kind of like that. It's like, I, I wouldn't call it a minimal record, but I do think that we didn't go maximal. <laughs> and I, I'm curious to see how this, how this is going to sound live. Cause I imagine that, these songs are just going to like all hell's going to break loose live. They're just going to like sweat and, um, and vibrate and move in different ways than they do in the album. And I just, I'm, I'm excited about that part of it. There's definitely, um, there's definitely a lot going on. I mean, it's so much fun. Like Sarah plays bass and she also sings some of the harmonies. So we get to do that. And then also Paige will still use uh, kind of her live looped harmonies at times so that we've got, a bunch of vocals. And um, I think one of the really cool things about the having the presence of the bass is we don't have a live loop guitar for Paige to be able to play a lead over it. So um, some of our song structures are able to get a little bit more sturdy because we don't have to run an entire, you know, verse to catch that verse so that we can run a guitar a line to the top there. of it. Yep. Um, and uh and it's also i mean one of, one of the things that's definitely true in these and i am excited for you to see them live is that has really opened us up like obviously when you can have the drums and bass playing and no guitar at all that really opens page up to be able to drop in guitar in interesting new ways she's a fantastic guitarist and i think it's been in it's been present in our previous albums but in this one there's definitely some of my favorite guitar work and um, really some areas where she can kind of get psychedelic with the guitar and, um, and live I've found if anything, we have more room for that than even on the recording. And that's, um, that's been really exciting. It's like being able to see, uh, being able to both be wilder when we're wild, but also be really focused uh, when we want to be, too. I, I've I've been appreciating songs with kind of slower tempos, not necessarily slow, but like that start quiet and res restrained, um, uh, like out of my mind. Um, mm -hmm. Really com comes in at this low lope that we really couldn't quite do before because we, we, that one is really, that's the bass and drums doing that stuff. And then there's kind of like shimmery guitar that, that gives little punctuations, but it's fundamentally bass and guitar. And we didn't have that before. So that's been really great. And it feels like more, you know, mature, I think is the word <laughs> for it. <laughs> when you're, but then it also sets up for those guitar leads. Amazing. Yeah. When you're talking about getting a little more psychedelic on the guitar, one of my favorite tracks on the album is Poor Gilles. And oh, yeah. I feel like it's so atmospheric and, and I really love it. And I kind of get hints of like the Sundays 
or Sixpence None the Richer or Mazzy Star. Oh, I'm just oh, kind of yes. curious to know uh, when you were. And my other favorite song on the album is I Got a Feeling, which is so oh, cool. different. I love the way that you change styles on every song. Um, I Got a Feeling has got that those spoken word verses. And the thing that I love about that is that they sound they don't sound gimmicky. You yeah. know, it doesn't you know, it sounds very conversational. Mm -hmm. It sounds so natural. And I would love to play those to somebody not knowing and see if they could identify them as coming from the same band or not. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, that those, I mean, I think like that one is, um, that one I, I remember kind of trying to write a song that could be reduced, not reduced to people, but a song that I could just play with an acoustic guitar too. Cause like every yeah. now and then I like to kind of force myself to, make a song you know because as you're at a party you're at a friend's house and there's a bunch of musicians and they're passing around the guitar and i'm like why didn't i learn a bob dylan song in the last however many <laughs> years of my life and um and i'm always like shoot i never i never have something to play and it's like oh well here's a sleepy song and here's another sleepy kitty song but um but yeah so i like to have some songs that i can play like if we're in a situation like open mic or, a, a, you know, when there's a group of people casually kind of sharing their music and, um, and Porgia like was definitely one that like, I feel the, the acoustic version can there, like, there is a, an acoustic kind of core to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but the definitely the kind of um, like, I guess like shoegazy kind of, you know, like fuzzy, keep it fuzzy. And, um, and I'd say I was listening to a lot of like kind of getting into a lot of French kind of indie rock pop at that time. And like with some of the vocal approach and yeah. um, what Evan calls sunglasses rock. And, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, um, and then I got a feeling was um, just one of those things that kind of came out of, you know, I mean, it came out of uh, a kind of professional frustration moment, but um, but the song came out of thin air um, in a way. And Evan was like, we were going to go to a show together. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm just going to stay and work on this new song idea that's kind of going around in my head. And, um, and it just had the like, it's literally the Casio keyboard that I've had since I was in second grade and I just had the little drum machine, you know, like just to have a metronome basically. And, um, and yeah, it came to very, together very quickly and I was just recording myself and some of it kind of some of the sounds I was like, I don't even know how I like what I did, what I was on to get the sounds, some of the guitar sounds. It was like very a linear experience for me, like just like make the song, just go through the song. And, um, and we tried to record it again um, a couple times, but nothing had the energy of that kind of first like raw mm -hmm. demo. Um, and luckily, it wasn't too demo-y to that it couldn't be on the album. But yeah, Evan sometimes really you can't recapture that. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I, I like when that happens. Yeah, like first vocal take, or you know, I don't remember how many I did when I was working on it that night. Like it was on GarageBand, but. Um, like we we did record it. It was like nothing has that that mm -hmm. you know that thing of that first um, that, that first recording. The true acid. Yeah, the true like yeah, that true acid and that true kind <laughs> of like um, 
like the emotion was like really there and um mm. and and it feels very i can't i can't remember if i had already i must have already heard um uh, Modern Lovers, Hippie Johnny. I must yeah, have already right. heard that song by then, but it mm -hmm. would have been around that time that I finally like heard that Modern Lovers album, and that like that was a really exciting album for me because it was like one that you know I'd seen a million times before I got into, and it it was like yeah. so exciting to have a new classic in my life. But yeah. I think um, there's some like there's some some definitely probably some modern lovers influence in that one with the, the <laughs> right so, yeah. i don't know that's you, also you the just, only thing that we've done with um electronic drums where it was just a drum machine thing mm. and i think that really separates it from the other stuff and Paige initially really she was like well of course we'll do this with drums and we did try it a couple times but it was like what this doesn't need that like this that's not it's not about that in action it's about the so listen like this like kind of like i've had yeah, it the attitude I got to get some like, things off yeah. my chest you yeah. know? Mm -hmm. and then it's it did feel like subsequently trying to recreate that just like like uh kind of burst of of feeling was unnecessary since then we figured out a live version that's like super exciting and it's probably our favorite thing to play live and oh, it's got cool. a whole lot more things going on and we, we do want to record a a new version of that with the the three piece because it really has a a whole different life to it um but uh but that recording turned out really that that recording i think turned out to be the linchpin in the album like just kind of existing mm. for a little bit actually putting it like having it be one of the songs like there were a couple songs that did end up coming off and there were songs that we were he had that were like kind of sticking points and i think once that one really fit into the album we realized like that's what it needed like this mm. this is now a complete album and it's got the breadth that we are kind of reaching for where we do have the song sounding we don't want to have the same trick times on an album you know we want to we want to yeah. be giving a new facet every single time mm -hmm. if, if not several new facets it's also one of the uh most intense ones to sing it's like rangy rangy so um so it's very very fun but also like I gotta be, I just have to be warmed up to do these songs in a way yeah. that I didn't before, but maybe that's just youth and you're like, I'm just gonna throw myself into it. And like, <laughs> I need to warm up and I need to have my tea. And yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. You were, you're talking about doing multiple takes of that song and not being able to recreate that initial feeling. And that's kind of my impression of the album. I feel like the whole album is like, when you listen to it, you're hearing it as it happens. It's got that immediacy to it. It's like you're you're hearing something, like you're playing it for me right now at this moment. And I want to know how quickly was the album put together? Did you do a lot of retakes on a lot of things? and Or was there a lot of different demo versions of things before you settled on a, a final version? Because it sounds so spontaneous and so energetic. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks. Uh, we are studio hounds like we really like to spend that's actually our favorite place in the world is to to get in and get down what we know and then jump into all the stuff we don't know about the song you know um 
find the happy accidents and the and the um you know layer the guitar once more and then take out the one that you thought was going to be the main one and and use that sound instead and you know all those kinds of things um and it's interesting because uh i got a feeling was not a studio song that was in the that was at home basically um but i do think the thing that it's funny i think of these as very highly constructed arrangements of sounds um but absolutely i think the the goal well i think about this all the time with movies you watch a movie and you're kind of amazed and surprised and amazed and surprised if it's good movie at what's happening and, and you didn't see things coming and you know you get to the end of the movie and you're like wow what a what an experience that was and then i think man they spent years making like they knew exactly the narrative like to be able to build something so consciously so that the view can have a surprising experience and, and a um, enriching experience the kind of a linear li watch or, or in an album listen it's really uh, that's part of that's one of the exciting things about making art you know and making music stuff is is being able to work really hard on something so that somebody can uh hear the you know you might need 10 takes of the guitar to get the one that has just the right ear right before the chorus or whatever you know <laughs> um but you keep that thing because it got that it's it is the sound of the fresh thing happening for the first time and uh or or, or you know that's what that's there that's why you keep it in that in there and um i think there's a bunch of places in this album where that happens and we're, we're kind of i think of us as kind of a crescendo based band <laughs> like our our shapes yeah. are tend toward um they tend to get to a a peak and uh their dynamic is um shaped kind of like i think like a less like cycles and more like a short story or a novel or something you know where it's it kind of heads towards a crisis <laughs> um and that i think hopefully gives that sense of like i don't know where we're going with this um when you when you hear a song and, and therefore it's of like excitement i think the the thing when you feels like very immediate and very like kind of like you're hearing it in that moment this one we did go into the studio i think one of the ways it took a long time was we kind of when a song felt ready we would try to get in the studio as soon as possible and i think um bigger picture was kind of the oldest song on the record and the one that we'd been playing live the longest but um all the other ones most of them we hadn't even played in front of people until last summer when we finally started playing out again. And um, I think like a lot of them, like Alcest and Silver Lake was one where I had an idea and I kind of had a structure that I was like, okay, Evan, like I can't play all the parts at once, but like this is going to do this and these guys say, ah, and then we're going to do all these things and it's all going to make sense together. And so we did a lot of demoing and, um, and we had a collaborator, Julian Swartz, work on that with us too on the guitar. And then basically, as soon as things were feeling good, we would kind of try to get in the studio to kind of keep that energy and not overthink it. Um, same with Bless and Curse and um, the and Wishful Thinking. Those were recorded at the same time. Those were the kind of the first ones we recorded. And um, I recently found a demo, the very first demo of... Um, wishful thinking and i don't know why but i was playing it just on one acoustic string and 
Uh, but you can hear that, like the idea of the songs there, and um, and then we had a, we demoed those pretty extensively. But then it was like, okay, here's the time. It's like book studio time. Like get in there, get it before you overthink it and change everything that's good about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> can I sort of do a a quick a little quick quiz about your influences? Because I, I keep reading articles and people will say, oh, I think they sound like this or this. And I have been, when I'm listening to your music, I feel like I, I hear a whole different sort of set of things. So I'm just going to name just like seven or eight bands. And you can just say yes or no if you had any sort of like thought about them in, in your music at all, okay? I oh, this is this. so exciting. Ready? Okay. <laughs> the B-52s. I would say generally... They're there. They're 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 in the head. Okay. Um, Dale Bozio slash Missing Persons, and not only vocals, but just musically too, like music. That's so interesting. I don't know that band. Mm-hmm. What? I, what? Um... I <laughs> Wait. Okay, that's your homework assignment. Your, your band. I know. Your band. I'm excited to write these down. I'm like, okay, Missing no Persons. No more to play for you. Yeah, I know. It's like this is gonna be really embarrassing because I no, always no, feel like no, 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 no. I probably um, like don't know things. Like I'm fifteen years older know. than you, so okay. Um, <laughs> pa- uh, the waitresses, Patty from the waitresses. Mm-hmm. I think that's one that's like B fifty two less so, but it's like it's it's in it's in the psyche. You know? Okay, I'm learning about our songs from the things that you're saying because I'm like like huh? connecting vocal tones that you're saying. To yeah. like spit waitress, both waitresses and missing persons. I'm like, oh, I never yeah. put those things together, but I now can see a line between them for sure. I also say B52s, like before I even like knew other songs besides Love Shack, like I just that song, like Love Shack itself is just like the vocals on that are so exciting. And like, and I know, and the like the male and female vocals, and just like it's just. One of those things that's a really exciting recording, and anytime I hear it, I I love it, and I love her yeah. voice on it, and um, and I I definitely think, without kind of being consciously, uh, influenced by it, I think it's what Evan and I have a phrase, what we call like um, you know, the stuff that you it's like with you, no matter you whether you want it or not, like like your favorite Disney movie from when you're a kid, it's like we call that reptile brain, like it's just like yeah. it's just in there, and it's just part of your your being. So yes, yes. So B fifty two is his reptile brain for me. I got three more. Veruca Salt. Oh man. Uh, yes. Veruca <laughs> Salt, yes. we we even Yeah, I would say like, yeah, they're in there. There's a new song that's got Veruca Salt in it. The nice. Uh Ebenezer. Oh, that one. There's oh, there's yeah. definitely for me, definitely. Yeah, okay. I would say for me, um, less definitely when I first started playing. But less yeah. on this record. But yes, but as a musician, 100%. Okay. Split ends. I don't know split ends. I um, you know Crowded House. Yeah. Neil Finn. Yeah. Okay. But crowd. split ends is their first, his first band with his brother. Cool. Check them out. They're super quirky and awesome. And from New Zealand, like, like you, just amazing. But the, they're very quirky and odd and just, I think you'll dig them. And the last one is White Stripes. Oh, yeah. Not only yeah, just because stripes. of the two-piece thing, but just oh, yeah. White, White stripes. stripes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, that was a band that, like, 
I resist when they came out and like, I I guess I was like in high school when that, when they really got big and I, um, I really kind of resisted, but then a friend was like, no, listen to these records. And I'm like, they're amazing. And we are, we always talk about this Meg Meg White was like, you know, just like knew exactly what to do. And, and Jack White obviously knows exactly what to do like that. It's yes. We definitely um, you hear white stripes more in our earlier stuff. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's crashier, bashier mm-hmm. at times, um, and also um, some of the guitar tones that Paige had then were even more not straight up modeled from it or something, yeah. but like there was really a, a line to be drawn. You know what's funny yeah, though yeah. of that era bands that came out around that kind of like you know were in the mainstream at that or you know kind of rose up at that time uh, that I was more influenced like consciously influenced by at that time were the Strokes which I like I hear it at Guitar Center everyone have all the mm-hmm. people like that weren't even Pixies. born people yeah. weren't that weren't even born when that album came out they like yeah. the Strokes but the Strokes and um, the Black Keys were a really big piece for me when i first started playing guitar mm-hmm. that's cool i, I, would I haven't also followed add, them lately but yeah i would also add france gall who's a, Ob- absolutely a yeah. yeah yes especially this record oh. you sort of have this yeah yeah singer kind of thing going on that i thought was i'm trying she is my favorite singer like i think like she is like the i just think her voice i think her voice and her skill i think she is the one that I tell people now, like if I have to say a favorite vocalist, like she's the one. It's like Steve Malkmus and Franskal, but um, mm-hmm. but yeah, for Ooh. different reasons, obviously. But, um, but yes, Franskal, amazing voice, amazing, amazing, um, just application of the voice. And you kind of talked about we talked about Verka Salt and some of these other bands too, and um. You know, I first heard Evan playing in in Harvey Danger, right? Which may or may not be a good thing, depending on how you how you, the context of it. But being a musician in that time has sort of, I think, anybody who still makes music after that has sort of absorbed that whole like mass consumerism of this is commercial alternative music, and it's in their DNA, sort of, in how music is like supposed to be made and uh, released and yep. produced and stuff. And I think that. Now, all these musicians that were in that era, as they move farther away from that, are really doing lots of interesting new things because they've had that sort of wear and tear from that sort of golden age of alternative American rock behind them. So I'm just wondering if, like, that whole experience has affected you as a musician. Oh, yeah. I mean... Well, it's interesting. Rook Assault, that was a band that, uh, so Harvey Danger, uh, we all lived in Seattle and we all lived together um, in a couple different houses for for years. Um, and we had certain albums that were really just, you know, meetings of the mind. Uh, and definitely uh, Veruca Assault, American Thighs was one of them. Um, also, one that I've been falling way back into lately, R.E.M.'s Monster. That's just an incredible oh, yeah. oh, that's record. So good. Yeah, it's, yeah. We've been really feeling those tones and those ideas lately. Um, but uh, uh, and I can realize that that Veruca Salt, Spider-Man 69, like that was a huge influence on our bassist in particular and Harvey Danger. And 
Uh, I remember going to a Veruca Salt show. Uh, so I was, you know, early 20s or something when that when that all was happening, when Harvard Angel was happening. Um, I mean, I started and that was every, our whole band's first band. Um, and we were all like, I don't know, 18, 19 started doing it. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it lasted for a while. And uh, I went to see Veruca Salt. And, and also this was 1991 through 90, you know, through 2000 in Seattle. So yeah. everything was crazy in the rock world. And you're seeing all this super cool stuff. And you're seeing and uh, you're seeing commodification. And you're seeing the kind of like something go from local to international, from um, truly unmarketed to truly um, commodified. Um, sometimes it's the very same thing that gets put through a different pipeline and it comes at you, you know, instead of being at a, your local rock spot, it's coming at you from, from the, the biggest radio station in town or, or whatever, or MTV. Um, and I remember Veruca Salt was the show that I was so excited to be there. And I got a boot to the back of the head from <gasps> a bunch of, um, you know, uh, crowd surfers. And it was that moment, that show to me was the moment when I was like, okay, I can't put off anymore. My sense of like, this scene has this, this thing has transferred from being like a bunch of us who are kind of moshing in a circle. And I can talk all day about how uh, crucial the, the kind of moshing circle was to the, the dynamics of, of, the rock that became alternative rock, but um, Baruch Assault, the, the, the kind of like, I just watched the kind of like um, college bro dynamics just take over the room. And I, and that was the moment, that was the moment when I lost my sense of like, mm. this wow. is fun from underground. And I was like, Oh, what I love has passed into the, you know, overground oh, man. Or, or whatever, but I don't blame Baruch Assault. And that's one of the things I learned right. in danger is like, we crossed over to the mainstream or, or whatever we crossed over to massive con consumption and we didn't, I mean, I can, I can say for sure we didn't mean to do that. We didn't know that was going to happen with that had no bearing in, in our writing. Um, and when it did, and it was completely shocking and surreal and I mm -hmm. wouldn't, you know, I, it, it helped me not um, presume motives on anybody else's part, you know, which a huge yeah. part of the nineties was presuming a huge <laughs> amount of motives and projecting, you know, negatively on, on yeah. people. So yeah. um, I sort of mentioned this in another episode of our podcast, but like it was when, when REM finally broke big and with their hit stand and everyone was sort mm -hmm. of like backlashing on them. And I, and I was thinking to myself like, fuck that, like that, that is, that's bullshit. Like they, they've paid their dues. Like they've, they yeah. sort of deserve to be huge and and they have great songs and that's a great record and whatever. So like, I don't think, I don't ever hold it against a band when they, you know, if they, it, but yeah. sometimes the scene gets out of control and like stupid and that's the part that sucks, you know? Yeah. Well, and I've since found, I don't really like going to shows more than like 500 people there or whatever. Right. Like, <laughs> I, and, and so sometimes bands just move out of that realm, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then I don't really see them anymore. Cause I don't, I don't like, I, I'll, it's not that I never go to a show with 10,000 people there or whatever, but um, I just don't, 
that's a completely different experience. You know, that is just an utterly different experience than the rock and roll experience that I want. And it's not just the sweatiness or whatever. It's just like, I don't, uh, there's just something, I still think after all this time, there's something so sacred about the rock and roll show, uh, like seeing your friends, um, uh, not knowing if you're, you know, seeing the band in the crowd, the merch table, the sense that you know that we're in Kansas City last night and they're going to be in Nashville tomorrow night. And, um, you know, you can talk with them about that if you want, or you can talk about comics with them if you want. You know, you can really have a human to human experience that was part of what made me fall so hard for, for, I say rock and roll, but really I just mean like the, the culture of people making music in front of each other for each other. The yeah. fact that, you know, when you go see a sh show and there's 500 people there, probably 300 of them are also musicians, you know, yeah. and that's so much cooler when there's, when you're in a crowd of 10,000, I don't think 8,000 of those are musicians. I think you've moved into a thing where it's like, there's still probably 500 people who are musicians. There's just a whole lot more non-musicians. I don't, yeah. blame that either it's just like that's just a really different experience and i i um right it's just I like really a preference like what do you like yeah right yeah yeah so you know some of those favorite bands i just kind of stopped i stopped going to see when they get too big for me to 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 enjoy in the same way so i kind of wanted to circle back to the art if i can oh cool yeah i'm curious when do you know how to compartmentalize it because one of the great things is like you guys were working i think you guys were working on hamilton around the same time you did the short for the film festival and some other stuff, mm -hmm. right? And one of the things I've always sort of said is how can they, as someone who takes on 10,000 things and realizes I'm crazy, how can you do that like creatively? Like how do you compartmentalize it? And also sort of the process of like, I know at some point you were silk screening something and something sparked in there that became a song later or a creative idea for something to germinate with the band. So how does that interplay work with all those different mediums? How does it come together? How does it come apart? But also how does it fit into sort of the, I hate to use this word, but it's the only thing I can think of sort of the zeitgeist of Sleepy Kitty. Because Sleepy Kitty is kind of a zeitgeist more than a band. How does that all work and, and flow around? Man, how does that all work and <laughs> flow around? I mean- Or is it I all guess... chaos and you just pull it off? <laughs> I think like, okay, looking at our screen behind us too, I'm like, it's kind of chaos, you know? It's like, <laughs> as you can tell, there's just like a lot of sort of material. Like, I'm like, I see our, we've got a seagull hanging from the ceiling and we've got a disco ball and a protest, um, a, a sign from the protest of like when Roe v. Wade was overturned and a Rocky Horror Picture Show poster and like an art table full of stuff. And I'm like, I think everything, we do like jam everything in to everything all the time. And um, we always talk about this, like for whatever reason, it really works for Evan and me to spend a lot of time together. And we, um, my mom always laughs about us, like, cause we'll be away from each other for like an hour and be like, oh my God, I have so many things to tell you. And she's like, <laughs> how do you have like so many things to, like you were just riding in a different car together like how do you have so Aww. many things to tell each other but i think like we get like really excited about ideas and we get really like you know um there's just like so many unrealized projects like that's the thing i think is like so um i think we have uh while i'm in the book just of like I just like was like forcing myself to write down like just as many ideas as I could. And like some of them, some of them are like so silly 
and or it's like an idea for a show or like an idea for a pie or something. <laughs> it's just like everything. It's just like crazy. And I, I just really, I think like that's the thing. Like we really like to just like throw like lots of ideas. And um, and for me, I, I like end up starting a ton of notebooks and I'm like, this one's going to be the one that's all lyrics. And this time I really mean it. It's going to be all lyrics. And this one's <laughs> going to be the one that's like to-do lists and stuff. And I'm like, and sure enough, every freaking time, they meld into each other and it's like, that's just how it works. And I think, um, yeah, for the artwork, like, I guess like bringing it back to that, like um, I, during the pandemic, I really started just like collaging in my sketchbook a lot more. And that was one of the, that was one of the blessing parts. And the nice things was just having time to work in my sketchbook a lot. And, um, and, and, and I should say it wasn't having time it was choosing time. Like I, you know, cause I could be like anti-social and I could be like, yeah, I'm just going to stay home and sketchbook, but like we're social creatures and there's fun things to do in New York city and in Paris and we go do them. <laughs> but I think, um, yeah. So like the blessing curse artwork was a piece that I just really liked from this time where I was like, just making a lot of pages in my sketchbook. And, um, I don't know how, I think what happens with our albums, what's happened with Flux to the, the Hamilton covers was like a goal of like, we're going to do these songs and we're going to make this EP. But most of the albums, I would say what ends up happening is at some point, I feel like I'm like a hard drive that fills up and I'm like, I got to get rid of this. And I got to mm -hmm. like, I got to get this out. And I tell Evan, I think it's done. And he's like, really? Like, are you sure we don't want to record more songs sometimes? And sometimes, but then I think what happens with us is once we start making artwork, then it starts to like help finish the piece. And I think, um, I can't remember how this particular piece ended up on a cover. I think it was just like one night where I was like, you know, I'm just going to like start throwing stuff at it. And, but maybe you ended up putting the text on, I don't know. I turned it sideways. You turned it sideways. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, but yeah. So I think like it was just a piece we liked, and it felt like it was of the time of this record, and um, and it was like let's put that on there. Like, what happens if what happens to these songs if we just look at this piece of art in a square and start saying this? What if this is the new record? And I think um, doing that, you know, it's like if you name something, it does start going together more. And I think um. I, uh, I mean, it happens with like stray cats too. Like, if you name a stray cat, like you're gonna have Aww, a cat in a couple yeah. weeks. You know? <laughs> so I yeah. think it's cat's like, gonna be yours in a second. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, if you name it, I think um, it will. If you name it, it will resolve. <laughs> I feel like, cool. um, well, one thing I've always made, I've always made. Uh, design stuff uh I, I like i learned about music started learning about design um and started writing about music uh, and started writing music all at the same time and those have always been intertwined um um rob i think the the question about where one begins or ends and kind of how that all relates i always think about uh in screen printing we really put a premium on bright colors and like colors blending with each other and like the munge and grunge of, of um 
and schmutz, we call it, of the kind of halftones and, and stuff like that, 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 that translates directly to like distortion. Like we put distortion in the art that is representative of the distortion in the, in, in the amps. Uh, and, uh, and there's um, degrees of structure to the design that really uh, are analogous with the structure that comes with a, with a, uh, of a song. Um, and I think they're, uh, I mean, I think drumming and graphic design are really practically the same act in two different media. Um, so there's, uh, there's a kind of a sense that we are doing the same thing in, in different, in these different ways. Um, and I think the, like the color palette of the cover of Blessing Curse to me became the amp palette of, of Blessing Curse. Um, the songs were done, but I didn't know they were those colors until I saw that picture. And now I do think that they're those colors and, um, and those textures, um, you know, there's, there, there, there are halftone screens on it in the, on the back and there's, you know, brush strokes and there's, uh, there's that green slash of whatever. Sometimes I think of it as a fence or whatever it is. Um, and and that bright red and uh, there's like bright pinks against the red and to me those are like those go right into what it sounds like and um uh i don't or maybe it's just a lot of practice at putting at crossing media uh, but it it took the cover to finish the sound of the songs it took looking at it to know the sound that we're done so it's a blessing to us that we that we get to have you know we don't just hand it to somebody and say like plus what it looks like you know um in harvey danger we had to do that on a on an album because there were two designers in the band but we kind of couldn't solve it and we had to hand it off to somebody else. um but we've really found with with sleepy kitty over and over again the album artwork kind of it is that transmutation from one medium to another that l allows us to finish the album. Nice. That's fascinating. It really is. Yeah. I love to hear yeah. it. Though. That's yeah. such a cool, <laughs> that's, that's great. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's really interesting how you put that too. But yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's all, it's all at the same time, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And spending four hours together. Yeah. <laughs> I highly recommend it. <laughs> Ask yourself, is the Flopcast the right podcast for you? Do you have trouble picking a favorite Weird Al song, Karate Kid sequel, or Justice League Detroit member? Are you obsessed with Cousin Oliver from The Brady Bunch, Vicky the Captain's daughter from The Love Boat, or Vicky the Robot from Small Wonder? Do you think Cindy Lauper's We Are the World solo is the most important event in history? Do you have half an hour a week for something completely stupid? Then the Flopcast might be the right podcast for you. We're on the ESO Network and at Flopcast.net. You guys, thank you so much for joining us and having this chat with us. We have been looking forward to meeting you and getting to know you for weeks now. Ever since we, you know, got this lined up, we were like, oh my gosh, we started listening to the music and we just love it. And we've been so looking forward to meeting you. Thank you for being just amazing people. I know I could talk to you forever. I feel like <laughs> so many. I'm like, questions. this is fun. Yeah. <laughs> Same time next week, right? Thank you. Um, sure. Yeah, this has been 
it's been a real pleasure and and thanks for the close listens to the to the music because uh, i can i can hear it in the in the questions and i uh, really appreciate that yeah definitely thank you so much for yeah i really we really appreciate just the all the work you guys have put into this too yeah, yeah. so where can folks find more about sleepy kitty where's the best place to go to get more info or to see tour dates um, we do sleepkittymusic.com and that is probably the, that will link to all your, uh, socials of choice or, um, and, uh, yeah, that's probably the best way to, and we, we will have a, um, a new music video coming out shortly. Yeah. Uh, we don't have Yay. a date set, but for the song blessing curse that we're really excited about, um, we made it in St. Louis in the art castle with, uh, our friend Brian McClellan and, a whole extensive cast of um, some of our very favorite actors in St. Louis. So yeah. um, wild project and, and it made a really cool video. And so we're, we're looking forward to people getting to see that and you can find out about that at sleepykittymusic.com. I'm sure. Yeah. And um, yeah, sleepy kitty music on the socials. Yeah. That's probably the best too. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you both so much. We yeah. have had a great time talking to you. And Likewise. I've got like pages and more questions. I know, me so yeah, we I all think <laughs> we might have to have you back on if you would be willing to come on another time. Oh my God. We'd love that. We'd love it. Yeah, this is, this is fun. so fun. Yeah. yeah. As much as you want. Thank yeah. you so much. All right. Well, you guys have a terrific rest of your night and we will be talking to you soon and we will encourage people to go and listen to the new album and to go see you when you're in their area. Right on. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye, Bye guys. guys. Thank you so Bye, much. So we will be back next week uh, with uh, with a show. I'll just say that. And until then, Stephanie, why don't you kick us off with where people can find you? You can find me um, on Facebook at Stephanie Seymour Music. You can find me on Instagram at there underscore r underscore birds. And I have a website, thereirebirds.com. And uh, you can find me on Bandcamp under my name, Stephanie Seymour. And of course, on all these streaming platforms like Spotify and stuff like that. All right, Anthony. You can also find me on the Watchers in the Fourth Dimension podcast, watching our way through all of Doctor Who from 1963 until now. We are on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Um, and all of those other places wherever you like to get your podcasts. And you can also follow us on social media at, at Watches4D on uh, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or X, or whatever the fuck it's called this week. Right. And you can also find me personally on Instagram at, at Englishman in ATL. Rob, how about you? So you can find me on uh, Facebook or the Twitter X planetary mess that is um also on post um under my name and uh you can find me on the radio on wednesday nights on kdhx 88.1 fm in st louis streaming at kdhx.org so you can listen to that on the archive stream whenever you want it's there for you to listen to um whenever also i host a show on louder than more radio on monday nights from six to eight greenwich mean time and then um that's one to three eastern 12 to two central um, it's called Antics. You can listen to that there. And I'm also on the Weekend Justice podcast for anycoffeecoffee.com. 
All right, and I've got a website that catches all of my nonsense in one place, and that is Cosmic Creative, K-O-Z-M-I-C creative.com. You can find my books, you can find my podcasts, and I don't know, maybe I'll put out a coloring book and you can find that there too. I don't know. So we will be back soon. Hope you'll stick around with us. Uh, until then, take care, keep rocking on, and we'll see you soon. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.